There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, then you know this program is all about helping people create more meaningful and purposeful lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose that elicits passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Before we get into the program, let me give a shout out to our sponsor, RentWithRightToBuy.com. This real estate service offers a new way to home ownership and allows you to purchase a home when you may not be entirely ready. It's a great option if your credit is not in the best of shape or if you're in transition or maybe unsure about the new area you're checking out and maybe it's trying to, trying to figure out if it aligns with your purpose. But in any, any event, I want to thank them, RentWithRightToBuy.com. Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something you can immediately put to use in your life or your work. And if I can do anything to help you along your journey, go to my website at elisecortez.com and use the contact me feature to message me. Let's open a conversation and explore what's going on for you and how I might be able to help. Whether you want to learn more about how to develop a purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused culture in your organization, you want to see about joining a Catch Fire online inspiration, accountability, or mastermind community to nurture your own passion and purpose, you're interested in the Women on Purpose Thought Leadership Summit and Retreat in the Portland, Oregon area this September 8th through 11th, 2019, or you want me to speak for your company or your conference. At any event, I'm glad we're connected and thank you for listening. With us this week is Hope Mueller. She's an she's an author, inspi- inspirational speaker, executive, and active not-for-profit volunteer. She's the author of Hopi, From Commune to Corner Office. We'll be talking about her book and the lessons she took from her childhood growing up in a commune and the myriad of other life experiences she has, have, has had that have helped her make her into who she is today. She joins us today from Ringwood, Illinois. Hope, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you, Elise. It's so great to have you. See, who knew when you and I met at the conference that we were both speaking at back in March? It was a women's leadership conference in the pharmaceutical industry, and you were a fellow panelist. I was moderating, and I was like, I like your energy. I like what you're up to. Let's talk. And when I heard about your book coming out, I thought, hmm, this could be a good conversation. So I'm really glad we crossed paths. I am also. It was a, it was an awesome panel. The panelists were, um, you know, they were great to partner with and you were an incredible moderator. So I felt really lucky to have been been up there with you all. Well, thank you, Hope. Well, I read your book from cover to cover and I really, really enjoyed it. There's so much we could talk about, but to kick us off, there's a couple things about your book that that really resonate with the kind of work that I do that I want to showcase to start. And one is identity, the importance of identity, because it's it's a behavior driver, among other things. And two, story, the story of our lives and how they inform how we do our work and how we walk through the world. So let's talk about storytelling first and the importance of telling our story. You've done that. You've written you've written a part of your story which is so compelling um you know so i've created online courses for for storytelling i teach them in work in public workshops it's really powerful to be able to do this so um 
I also, by the way, I host storytelling sessions across Texas. Whenever I'm traveling, I'll stop in and convene some women and have them share their stories. So obviously, I believe in the power of story. So first, for our listeners, why did you write this book? Well, first and foremost, it was it was just to inspire people, right, to to let everyone know that no matter where you are or where you got started, you can go out and do amazing things. And, you know, trauma or other challenges that you might have experienced don't have to define you and don't have to shape your life long term. You know, so you're not alone in the experiences you might have had. I, I read a ton and um, uh, exciting and challenging childhood experiences or something that I've read quite a bit of not as you know not a ton but I but a lot and you know that's one of the things that resonated with me and also like you said I connect right throughout this process I've had this really great opportunity to just connect with amazing people and hear their stories and be able to share my own and you know, continue to show people and tell people that no matter where you're at or, you know, where you got started, you can go do amazing things. And that was my first motivation. I really applaud that being a logotherapist, which is in the field of existential psychology, that it really embraces the idea that, you know, you have the ability to choose the attitude that you take against anything that comes to you in life. And that's entirely your choice. You're emboldened to do that. Um, and, and therefore, it's your choices as to what you make of all of those experiences and how you allow them to make you into who you are today. So I love your message of empowerment. I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of the reason why you and I resonated so much, you know, quite quickly. I do, too. I do, too. And you have a fascinating story. Um, You know, so I want to understand what has writing your story about growing up in a commune, which we'll talk more about, you grew up in a commune, um, done for you? How's it affected you? Um, well, first, first and foremost, the, the opening scene that, you know, if you download the sample chapter, that chapter, that scene, if you will, played in the back of my mind for years. And I knew that if I was ever to write anything, that would be my opening scene. Um, and when I finally, you know, wrote it, it just came out. So, so part of it was just getting it out and I couldn't type fast enough right it was just I was compelled to get this out um and so in some ways you know what it did for me was just achieve some real goals right I'm a goal-oriented person first I got the work out there I had an opportunity to attend a writer's conference and I learned that oh wow this is just a second job in an entire industry and I'm going to have to do all of this work to make these things happen and so I got I got the work and then you know in a, a format that people could actually read and that I could start to share in 2017 2018 I had beta readers and cleaned it up and wanted to get it to um, figure out my publishing pathway and my goal was to launch it in 2019 so so one of the things it's done for me is just help achieve a goal. Um, but more recently, as I'm nearing launch, it is really connecting me with teens. It's really connecting me with, um, you know, kids that I knew from the kids that I've known throughout my childhood, 
uh, people who were temporarily my family members um, and my and family members now, and it's really reconnected with new exciting people like yourselves and just people who are contacting me through the website or you know, my different social media platforms and connecting, talking about uh, you know the two things that I have for mailing are you know either um, you know traumatic childhoods or the writing process, and those are the two things i'm having a hard time hearing you hope can you speak up a little bit you're breaking up and it's really hard to hear you can you really speak up into the mic yes i can do that oh that's so much better yeah that's much better we were we you were you were we were running away from us (laughs) come back um uh, well, I will, I will sit still, which is uh, actually quite hard for me. Yeah, I can imagine. So, so okay, so it's just about reconnecting and reconnecting with you know just my past and people in my life and new people, and that's been a really amazing journey. Okay, got it. Fantastic. Totally get that because I, like I said, whenever I go different places, I just, I'm like I'm going to Austin the first week of, of August. I'm convening a women's storytelling group there. I'm going to San Antonio and second week of, of September, I'm convening a group there. I know with that, it's just connecting to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. amazing. All right. The second thing that I want to talk about that really drew me as having you as a guest is your book is really in a lot of ways about identity. And I'm an identity researcher. I know uh, it's so important to know where we come from. And identity also drives decisions, behavior, choices. It's That's the part of its function that people don't understand. So it's also kind of an undergird or it can be an undergird to purpose. So what does the story you have written about tell us who hope is today? You know, this is such an interesting question, and I really, um, you know, I really, it, you know, who, who, who are you? It's such an existential question, and you know, what is your identity, and how do you, you know, how do you communicate those things? I mean, the work shares with you a set of experiences, and it also gives you little glimpses into the future of who I am today and how I got here. Um, and I think all of that combined can d- distill to a few few key components, right? Someone who's, you know, passionate, high energy, you know, really focused. Um, and really, at the end of the day, you know, you're not defined by the house you live in. You're not defined by your early childhood experiences. You're not defined by the people you sit by at work or the office you sit in at work or your colleagues or, you know, even a lot of people seem to define themselves by the work that they do. So you exist unto yourself without all of those things and you can choose what that looks like. And that's what the story is. It says, here's some set of experiences. And at the end of the day, I'm not defined by, you know, the commune that I was living in and the things that I saw. And I'm certainly not defined by, you know, the big house that I have today. And that's the identity. And that is so beautiful, and I completely agree with that. In fact, just for our listeners, um, if you decide you want to say anything about your first chapter, it is incredibly arresting the way you start your book, Hope. It's like, all right, I'm in. I'm I'm coming into this story with her. It's incredibly compelling how you opened your book. And to your point earlier, your story really does illustrate the power of choice in a person's life and, and that we have the freedom to choose our attitude against our circumstances and what life serves up to us. I mean, you 
could really have assumed a very, very dire victim mentality if you wanted to and chosen a dim view of the world and, you know, what what what, what was growing up, et cetera, and you didn't. In fact, um, you know, you've got some interesting stories in there about your upbringing and you see your mom today as always loving, supportive, not always the best parent, but good. Yeah. It's true. It's it's funny. We ha- recently there was you know one of these Facebook posts that was floating around and and it was ten childhood traumas and you're supposed to give yourself a point for each one you experienced, right? And I you know gave myself points and I had an eight out of ten. And I asked the guy who posted it. I said, well, what was your score? And he said a two. And I thought, well, wow. And though I realized there was one on there that. I didn't get and I was I was unequivocally you know unconditionally loved and supported I was never made to feel small I was never belittled I was never not encouraged so I feel like me having that gift was the foundation that I built everything else on because my mom believed in me. I was, it didn't, she fully accepted me for who I was, my dad the same. And I was always encouraged. I was told I could be a doctor, a dentist, an astronaut, a a dancer, anything that I wanted to be. And I was encouraged and made to feel, you know, great. So I feel like that foundation, although the other eight I might have experienced, that was the foundation that I could build the rest of my life on. You know, what's so great about that hope from my research in, in human development, psychology, sociology, et cetera, is that what you're speaking to is really where resilience comes from. What we know about resilience is that when we have as a young person, just one person who really believes in us and tells us so, no matter what happens in the world around us, there's a way for us to navigate forward. And I, I think that partly what you're describing is you've developed a very resilient attitude in part because your your parents did so believe in you and give you unwavering support yeah I I, you know in reflection you really think okay well at least I got the really most important (laughs) one because that allowed me to not take a victim mentality and to move forward in life because I knew I was encouraged and I was capable of doing that because that's that was the foundation of who I was Mm mm-hmm now, having said all that, which is just really the, what the focus that we have here in your book and in your person, now let's surface for our listeners just a little bit about what was your experience like growing up in this commune? You grew up with your sister, and the two of you have some constants that you can associate with the, growing up in that experience. So tell us a few of them. Um, well, commune life is messy. <laughs> commune life is messy. You don't own anything. You share everything. You don't have your own bed. Um, you know, you don't have your own towel or clothes or uh, necessarily identify too closely with anything. So it gives you some freedom in certain terms of your attachment to material goods. Um, and the commune that I lived on was, um, you know, full of sex and drugs and violence and trauma and drama associated with the adults that surrounded us, um, you know, who are on their be here now, now be here uh, trip down, you know, the late 60s, early 70s. Um, so those were some of the uh, some of the immediate things that we faced during, the, you know, the commune years. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing it the way that you did. And on that note, let's grab our first break, Hope. I'm okay. your host. 
I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been in the air with Hope Mueller. She's an author, inspirational speaker, executive, and active non-for-profit volunteer. She's the author of Hopi, From Commune to Corner Office. She joined us today from Ringwood, Illinois. Illinois. We've been talking a bit about what lessons that she's taken from her life and how things have come to be for her. After the break, we're going to get into more detail as as to the kinds of lessons that she's learned from her upbringing and what she had to unlearn to be well in the world today. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Hope Mueller. She's an author, inspirational speaker, executive, and active non-for-profit volunteer. She is the author of Hopi, From Commune to Corner Office. With her early years marked by the experiences in a hippie commune, Hope's unique childhood shaped her approach and interaction with the world, with the gift of creating order out of chaos and turning vision into reality. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Hope, one of the things we were talking about on break that I was chuckling about, there's a couple of things in your book that I thought were really fun that I would guess that the best way to describe them is you kind of had to unlearn some things that you got from your childhood that were normal for you in that upbringing, but didn't always suit the rest of the world. So, tell us a few of the things that you had to unlearn or do differently to fit in. Well, Elise, you know, I'm sort of embarrassed to admit that I'm still doing that, (laughs) Um, (laughs) even in my mid-40s. But, uh, you know, there are some pretty concrete examples, you know, because in the commune, you, you know, everything is shared and you don't have a lot of attachments to material goods. You know, God bless my uh, first or my second roommate, actually, in, you know, late in high school and early in college. Um, You know, she taught me, you know, that I can't just go into her closet and wear all of her clothes without asking. And, um, you know, we tell a story and it's really actually embarrassing. I loaned her car to someone else without even asking her. And this woman is a saint and she's just really kind and sweet. And, uh, you know, she taught me how to cook and do all of these really fantastic things. And I think that was the only time she really got angry with me was when I actually gave her car to someone else to borrow for a day without asking her um but even dirt you know even now and certainly in the workplace there's a whole series of things I you know had to unlearn um some of which is you know that not everyone you know is equal and not every voice is has the same power right there's SVPs really don't expect you know the uh 
you know, the person who's been out of college for six months to, you know, provide an opinion or, you know, talk back. <laughs> so those are, those are some things that I've had to uh, can, uh, continue to unlearn. I think it's delightful. I laughed my head off when I read that part about you just, you know, happily just trying. I could just imagine you just donning your college roommate's clothes and stepping out and having a jolly good time. And yeah. and the car, where's my car? Oh, I lent it off to so-and-so. They needed it. Oh, good. How do I get to work today? Yeah. Um, I just thought it was just charming. And I understand, you know, that you feel a little embarrassed, but it's, you know, how would you know differently? So, yeah. Um, along those lines, one of the other things that I really thought was fun and wanted to call out about your book is that all of us grow up in a unique family dynamic, and that dynamic shapes us and, and gives us often very radically unique skills that we can draw from to distinguish ourselves in life and work. And you, between your mother and your sister, you developed in the role of peacekeeper and became very good at de-escalating situations and very heated and sometimes violent arguments between the two of them. I would see this as a very essential life skill. How has that manifested or served you in the business world? Oh, well, I mean, I can think of, you know, five examples off the top of my head, some very pivotal and critical in my career and some just in the last few weeks where I played the negotiator role. Um, But if I look at that question and I think about it through the lens of leadership, I you know, as a leader, that ability to de-escalate has been one of one of the greatest gifts that I can bring to the table is, you know, especially in a quality organization, things can get really exciting and people can get really panicky. You know, do, are, are, are our patients impacted? Do we have to do some regulatory notification? So when you are the leader and your team is starting to get a little worked up, you're the one who has to stay calm say okay that is that is good information maybe it's not the best scenario but let's get the data that we need in order to make the decisions that we need to make you know and that that is the calming force um and that was the you know one of the gifts the other thing that that de-escalation um and negotiator role that i played in my childhood has come to to me at work is also a translator so i can sit down and talk to people in the c-suite i can talk to individual contributors and i can bridge a you know pretty broad communication gap somebody who's very technically sound and someone who's maybe not and make sure that everybody's walking out of the we're walking out of the room with the same message so those are two things that um you know Although some of my lessons were painful, um, and the, you know, certainly you can deploy them in the work setting. Mm-hmm. I really want to encourage all of our listeners to really consider that. Maybe gaze at your navel a little bit and consider your background like you've, you've done in your book and consider what did I really learn that was unique that, that maybe distinguishes me. So what you've just done there has given us all access to that for ourselves, Hope. So thank you for that lesson. It's one of the reason, I, I, again, I wanted to have you on the show to showcase how we can really utilize our own life experiences and story to make to distinguish ourselves and and to showcase just what we do so uniquely in the world and and that's certainly one of the things for you it seems yeah it's true another thing that i i found really interesting and and uh, that stood out for me in your story is you talk about that you were often uprooted and kicked out by your various landlords as you continued this commune life and went from place to place so there was this constant state of unrootedness if you will and I, I wondered if that was how you developed your need for order and structure. Um, was it so? Did that contribute to that? 
Absolutely. And I think one of the things um, that I definitely craved, I still crave order and structure. But so the commune was the first, you know, first six years of my life. And then my mom married her third husband and we went to a very very strict, very formal setting. Um, But with that setting where, you know, dinners were at a certain time and napkins were on your lap and there was one pitcher of milk and one pitcher of water and everything had to be just so, that also came with consistent food, consistent shelter. Um, You know, we had a room, so, so to speak. We had a place that was our own. And because although that environment was a, a, you know, my stepdad was a violent alcoholic it because it came with order and structure I really gravitated towards that environment and you know liked the order and structure even though it came with some um, violence and um, drama it was also came with you know consistent like that foundation of Maslow's hierarchy of needs so because I was you know got that foundation built there I was able to really continue to gravitate towards order and structure absolutely mm-hmm now, now, so today, as a as as an executive and a, and a businesswoman, how does your need for order and structure direct your your choices, decisions, your actions today? Well, it's it's funny because it's everywhere, right? There is literally no place that I don't sort of apply that lens. Um, and one of the you know one of the things I can bring to the table is that you know I you know, either a broken system or an inefficient system, you know, both both at home and at work. And I won't, you know, I won't just struggle with a broken system. I will actually step back and recreate an efficient system with least waste and, you know, highly productive outcomes because it's just the way I think. And I want it to be orderly. And I do think it's those two components of, you know, being comfortable with change um, and being problem-solving focused created that ability to say, okay, I'm going to create order out of this chaos, right? So very comfortable in chaos, but my goal is to create order of whatever chaos might exist. And some systems look great. um, And, but it's, you know, but, and a lot of people will be handed some, you know, pile of work and they'll just grudge through it. They'll just trudge through that pile and not actually step back and say, is there an easier way I can get this done? Is there something that's more straightforward in order to make sure this happens in a more timely way? Mm-hmm. Beautiful illustration. And I think that's such a great example of how what we endure and get through in our childhood can really serve us well when we when we deliver it through the work and the way that we live our lives. I think that's just a great illustration of that hope. And and it leads me to my next question. In, in preparation for our conversation, I, I Googled lessons from learning up and growing up in a commune. And, you know, I didn't find really any results. So you're kind of unique, um, at least about what's being reported. So I'm interested. You've mentioned a couple of things, but what maybe a couple of lessons from your unconventional upbringing stand out as contributing to your success in life? Well, and yeah, when I thought of this question, I also thought, well, it, you know, not just my set of experiences, but any anybody who might have lived on a commune. So I think there's two tenets that anybody who might have lived in that scenario might have experienced. And number one is adaptability. 
you know, you have to be, you are, you don't know what's coming next. You don't know what adult is going to be responsible for. You don't know what condition they might be in while they're responsible for. You don't know what kids will be there. You don't know where you're going to sleep. You don't know what you're going to eat. If you're going to eat, you don't, you know, you don't know what clothes you're going to wear. So you have to be, there's a level of comfort that comes with this um, unknowing and you have to be adaptable, right? You have to be comfortable with change or else you're really going to suffer. So I would feel like that's, you know, adaptability or comfort with change is certainly a core component of, you know, the commune experience. And the second one I would say is contribution. You know, there's something very powerful about, you know, everybody having to contribute to the well-being of the greater good, right? You have to come to the table, you you know, with your own you know, strengths and skills and put those to use for the greater good of the community. And you can do that at work and you should do that at work, right? So those two things together, when I think about, you know, it doesn't matter what type of commune you might have lived on, say you lived on a religious cult or some other other type of commune you have, you have to be pretty adaptable um, and you have to be willing to contribute um, to a greater good. And, you know, those I think kind of capture an essence of of anybody's commune experience although I it's truthfully I've only met one or two other folks so I'm not sure that I've read a lot of other people's experiences um, but I would feel like those two pieces and those help you and they translate to work quite nicely mm-hmm, mm-hmm. indeed in fact we've got a um, uh, along these lines somebody from the chat room on, on, on online w4cy is asking would you ever live that commune lifestyle again not that one, no. <laughs> I, would, I would. So, would I live in, in a community-based um, setting? Potentially, there is something very rewarding about it. I wouldn't definitely wouldn't be in a, a drug-fueled sex scene <laughs> um, because you know drugs alter your mind and your reality in ways that are probably pretty unhealthy. Um, but would I live in a commune or a community setting where people contribute to a greater good? I think there's real value in that. And I'll tell you a quick experience. I was at this writer's conference earlier this year with these amazing women, and it was in these cabins in the woods. And you know, and it felt like a little bit of a commune feel where everybody was cooking, everybody was cleaning, everybody, and it was just, no one was assigned anything, but you just, you know, you just got up and started to do when something needed to get done. And there's something very rewarding of that. Many hands make light work. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I've known of a couple of people here in Dallas who are, when I met them, when I was doing some research, were talking about gravitating to that very kind of a community for the exact same set of reasons that you just outlined. So I, I, I do see the compelling piece of it. It's I love, yeah, I grew up in a small family, not small, four kids, but I'd love to have the experience of what it was like to have like 12 kids all in the kitchen cleaning up and, you know, eating together. It'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, let's grab our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We were on the air with Hope Mueller. She's an author, inspirational speaker, executive, and active non-for-profit volunteer. She's the author of Hopi from commune to corner office she joins us today from ringwood illinois after the break we're going to hear more about some of her early upbringing that i think really stands out as unique and makes her her special stay with us we'll be right back
Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Hope Mueller. She's an author, inspirational speaker, executive, and active non-for-profit volunteer. She's the author of Hopi, From Commune to Corner Office. With her early years marked by the experiences on a hippie commune, Hope's unique childhood shaped her approach and interaction with the world, with the gift of creating order out of chaos and turning vision into reality. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for this last segment, Hope, there's a couple things in particular about your book that I really want to call out for our listeners, because they really stand out to me as maybe unusual molding blocks in your past. Um, the first that I want to talk about is you've, there's a bit of an undercurrent in your book of I don't fit. And um, I can see how that would probably be when you encounter other folks who didn't have your experience. And so I'm interested in how this idea of I don't fit maybe manifest in your life and your choices. Um, another really great question. Um, you know, Part of it comes through, and even in the book, it comes through that way, because there are times when I'm sitting in a conference room, you know, with with the different executives, and I look around and I think, "What? How did I get here? Sitting <laughs> <laughs> right now, uh, you know these, uh, you know, especially sometimes I'm in, you know, I'm in a quality role, and my job is to make sure everyone's following the rules, and I like rules. What are those? So I think. To some extent, that that theme definitely, you know, runs through a many things. And when I really, when I really struggle with that question, I really think about it. One of the things, one of the, my approaches during, I developed during childhood, and the constant moving um, was what I what I called a fast friends approach. But what it really is is mirroring. So because I had to make you know, relationships quickly or, um, you know, try and fit in quickly. What I did and what I do, and again, I'm still learning how to um, scale this back a little bit in my mid-40s, is I mirror the people I'm interacting with. So, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, take on their mannerisms. I'll, you know, take on their vernacular, maybe the way they're, you know, standing and their um, clothing. So I would quickly sort of mirror other people around me as a child in order to fit in quickly. Um, and that's manifested myself in my, um, with my, for myself in my workplace, where I have gotten myself in trouble a few times where I've gotten really close to people. Um, and they think we are much closer than I think, right? So I am just a reflection of what I'm seeing of them. And I find myself in this, you know, in a deep, connection with somebody that that I then have to spend some time sort of backing out of 
And then when you go back to some of your original thoughts and themes around identity, that that really makes you, you know, sort of say, hmm, like, what is my identity? I've spent a lifetime mirroring other people and giving them what they want and making them feel happy and making them feel satisfied and not doing those things for myself, right? Because in this effort to fit in, I'm fitting in with the person I'm interacting with or the environment I'm interacting with, which can be very successful and it can be, you know, it's a very good way to approach different situations, but it can be used you know, to an extreme a little bit. And then when you're in your late 20s and your early 30s and you think, well, who am I and and what do I want? <laughs> and you really then start to say, okay, I have to start drawing boundaries around who I am and what I'm interested in and not just take on everybody else's wants and needs and reflecting what I think they want from me. Wow, there's a lot in that, just a lot in that, and um, I can unpack that for quite some time, but there's a couple more things that I really want to get to, um, if we can. One is, I think it's just entirely profound, Hope, that you lived on your own starting at the age of 15 with a friend after making a proposal to her parents to rent the property that they owned. I think that, one, it's amazing that at such a young age that you were able to do that. And it's also shocking to me that you didn't get any pushback, maybe you did, from her parents or your mom. Um, say a little bit about, I mean, how this came to be and just what made you decide and compelled you to live. You know, you, you had a job, you were in high school. You supported yourself. How did this come to be? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I I now have a 19 and 25 year old and I also have two younger children, eight and 11. And I look at them and I think, no way would I let them move out at 15. Um, And I can't really imagine that. Um, We didn't get much pushback or I didn't get much pushback from my mom. She was in a pretty heavy alcohol phase at that time um, and, you know, struggling with her own addictions. And so she had moved out when she was 16. My sister had moved out when she was 16. So the age didn't seem like a massive component for her. She had one rule and that was my grades couldn't fall. Um, and I was, you know, happily on, merrily on my way. My my roommate parents were much more aghast um, and we had to do a lot more work convincing them, but we did. I mean, we went to work or we went to school every day and then we walked to Kentucky Fried Chicken and worked, you know, 40 hours a week and we paid our rent and we bought our groceries and we walked everywhere because we didn't even have a driver's license yet. Um, and we just did it. And quite honestly, I think there was a little bit of, you know, I wanted to create order for myself. I wanted to create some control around my own life. I started very consciously, or at least I can remember it at 10, where I wanted I wanted control and order. And so my room would always be clean. My bed would always be made. I would color code my clothes in the closet. And eventually I would start you know, I would take days off of school in middle school and high school to just clean the house. And um, a little bit of it was, hey, I can create, a, you know, um, a safe place for me to live. And and that's what we went off and did. 
It's really remarkable. I mean, I was I had a lot of responsibility too when I was that age because I, I worked for my parents and, and they're very, very busy full service restaurant and, and bar, breakfast, lunch and dinner. But I most certainly had a roof provided to me over my head and you know, some the meals were provided. I wasn't paying anybody rent. But it really seems to me that your that part of your experience indicates an incredible amount of resourcefulness and responsibility. Does that manifest itself in your life today? Um, yeah, I mean, certainly I, you know, especially in the leadership roles, certainly um, as a parent um, and, and as I've aged and continued to be successful in my professional career, I have, you know, spread my reaches into non-for-profit activities and how can we give back how can we, you know, make a difference in the broader community? Um, and, and and really, it's that take care of people. How can you take care of people, right? How can you create those spaces for them? And that's the charity um, that we're launching this year. Um, the paperwork is submitted, and hopefully IRS will, you know, come back with us for, so with a number soon. Um but that's really what it is, is to help families and children in critical times during those li- their lives. And so absolutely, it shows up in every facet of my life. You know, in the work that I, I do with organizations, which is which is um, fueled and colored by what I know of logotherapy and Victor Frankl's work around existential psychology, uh, a couple of major themes in there that he really espouses are responsibility and uh, freedom, freedom to choose. Again, freedom to choose how we're going to behave and our attitude and things. And just your experience just so smacks of how when you really do assume those two things in life, especially at a young age, um, and and own them, how well they can serve you. Yeah, I mean, I, I those are foundational, right? The you are, and then I would say that is also a gift from my childhood. You know, you you were expected to contribute, and you were and you were given massive amounts of freedom. I was given massive amounts of freedom, but I also knew that whatever the consequences were, I would experience those. Right, mom always said, and that you know, back to when I moved out when I was fifteen, she said, "Yeah, you can." You can go. I literally had no rules, right? I had, and this was even before I moved out. I didn't, there was, I could cuss, I could smoke, I could drink, I could, there was no curfew. Um, my one rule was that I had to do well in school. I had to, you know, continue to get good grades. But I was fully responsible for my own well-being and any consequences that came with it. So certainly that responsibility and the freedom are those two pieces that I did really experience. Mm-hmm. I do think, in my view, that we could do a little more to inculcate that in today's society, especially if anybody is offended by this, I'm, I apologize. But the, the helicopter parent sort of thing that we have going on today, I, I, I don't think it serves our kids well. And, I, you know, some kind of a mix between that and what you grew up with seems like it might be a, a really nice balance. And... Um, you know, I think giving kids responsibility and letting them grow into how they that empowers them and develops self-esteem and confidence is really an important start to life. Absolutely. And I, all four of my daughters would tell you that certainly the not a helicopter parent, um, they are expected to manage themselves in many ways, you know, of course, age appropriate ways. Um but they hear this all the time and they would tell you this today that I say to them all the time, we'll figure it out. 
right? I'm not here to come and solve your problems. I'm not here to, you know, entertain you. Um, you know, you have, you know, you have an issue that you need work, then it's, you know, it's an issue that I think that they could can and should manage on their own. I say this to them all the time, figure it out. Yep. So I think it is empowering. Yeah. yeah. And I think I think that's really good for, 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 for kids and for people. And and clearly I think this shows up, I think, just looking at how you ended up in your I'm not sure exactly what the session was called, Hope, but you talk in your book about what that first session of being I think you were maybe doing some college testing. First oh. I think it's amazing that you even knew your way and found your way into to go to college, given you know how you grew up, um, you have a degree in biology, but you talk about this you know this scene where you're going in for testing and you're the only kid in the whole thing that hasn't didn't bring their parent with them, and you kind of sheepishly call your mom and say, "Mom, you know, sh- do you want to come to this thing? Do you do you think?" You-? And you guys figure out that it's okay. I got this, but right. but I'm amazed. Help us understand just a little bit how it was that you just knew to go to college and go off and become a professional and given your your upbringing. You know, so it's funny and I probably don't touch on it a ton um, within the commune. So they this was in a college town. So all, almost all of the adults that were in the commune were either in college or they were getting their master's or their PhDs. So I was, you know, I was surrounded with highly intellectual people the expectation to go to college was just there um and you know for example mom's third husband was a you know world-renowned physicist so you know high level of intellectualism intelligence and the expectation of those being with it and i would say in my young life you know my elementary years i my grades were mediocre at best but i did test very high on standardized tests but, you know, come to middle school and I got straight A's. And the moment you get straight A's, then your parents teach you say, okay, that's the expectation of writing. I mean, you're breaking up there again, Hope. Um, but I heard you say the, you know, the, when you got straight A's, and I know you were in the, in the honors group as well, the honors yes. program. Yep. So it's just the moment you, you do well, then that becomes the expectation. And literally, you know, it was... I, it's funny in retrospect, like you talk about helicopter parents or people who a lot of parents help their kids fill out their applications and, you know, go to college visits. And, uh, you know, I didn't fill out applications for my kids, but I did take them on college visits. And honestly, it's hard for me to even figure out how I made that happen now. But I went and certainly you can't do it online. Um, so, you you know, you go and find, find some research. You to fill out an application and mail it in. Um, so, you know, there was just an expectation. And honestly, there was also a lot of drive. There was a lot of what? Dry? What did you say? There was a lot, a lot of drive to improve myself. Drive to improve. Okay. I wasn't going to live the way we lived. Um, and I knew a way out was to make sure I had my college degree. Mm-hmm. And why study biology? Of all the things that you could study, what was it about biology that called you? 
Well, it was honestly, you know, I had planned to be um, a doctor and that, you know, I literally as a child, it was a neurosurgeon or a pediatrician or some sort of doctor. Um, And you, you know, then you would get your undergrad in a Bachelor of Science in Biology, which I have. Um, But I did have um, my eldest daughter when I was a sophomore in college. And about halfway through, I thought, I've got to go to work and make some (laughs) for another six years. Um, So I had to change directions and I ended up in the pharmaceutical industry, which has, you know, been, you know, been a really great success story. Indeed it has, which is how it was that we crossed paths at at a pharmaceutical conference. So here we are at the end already, Hope. So you know that this show is being listened to by listeners all over the globe and it's really designed for people to help them gain access to meaning and purpose in their lives and their work and for leaders to be able to help develop that in the workplace. Given that, what would you like to leave our listeners with? I would, you know, the same thing that we started with, that no matter where you are, um, no matter where you got started, uh, or, you know, some pain you might be in today, you know, you can move beyond that. You can go off and do amazing things. You know, you can connect with people, surround yourself with people who love you, who will support you, and who believe in you. And if you don't have that foundation, create it for yourself and let go of the folks who are not supportive and go off and do amazing things and go off and do all of the things that you dreamed you can do because they can happen and they are happening. And, you know, that's what I would just love for everybody to walk away with was to to feel inspired and anybody who wants to connect with me the same thing you are welcome to email me at hope you know at hope or at hopey.net and you know this similar to what elise is saying you know if you think i can help you in some way you know connect go to the website and let's see what we you know how we can work together thank you so much for joining me hope and for coming into my world and letting me share you with my listeners i really appreciate this thank you Thank you so much, Elise. And listeners, if you want to learn more about Hope Mueller and or her book, visit her website. She alluded to it. It's hopey.net. So it's H-O-P-E-Y dot net. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it recorded via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Crystal Don Gorell, whose superpower is capturing precious memories, providing expert wedding photography and compelling personal brand photography. She is also a colleague and partner of mine and also took all the photos on my own website at elisecortez.com. She gave you some idea of her own work. Next week, we'll be on the, on the, the show with, uh, with an Austin professional who I'm still scouting for to enjoy something fresh while I'm on the road. I'll be in Austin to conduct a women's storytelling evening on August 7th and then speak at the Texas Network of Youth Services annual conference on Thursday the 8th. So see you there on the air as we generate something new and fresh. Remember that work is at least one third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>